social media, um, you know, to me, it's it's just really interesting that the idea of people who we, we broadcast what we think or what we feel and we just put it out there and we see whether or not people like it and that whether or not they like it literally, like they press a like button, gives us a form of validation that, you know, other forms of broadcasting what we feel or enjoy could not give us. Like when, you know, different people wrote speeches, when Charlie Chaplin gave the great dictator speech, he didn't want to, you know, get likes from people. He just wanted to speak to other people and get his message out there. And I think that to a certain degree, when we're using social media, uh, that's what it is. We're just putting stuff out there, whether people like it or not, that's fine. We don't really care. But some of us, we, we sort of thrive on that idea of people giving you likes and giving you, you know, more followers or whatever. And I, you know, I, I'm a part of this too. Um, you know, I, I have a Twitter account and another Twitter account and I have a Tumblr and I have a Facebook and I have all this. And I even have this SoundCloud account. And, you know, it's crazy to me that the, this arbitrary number that doesn't even show who liked it or who watched whatever you're posting can give somebody validation. And I experienced this. I, I get that sort of validation from things. Like, I that I think to everyone there's a certain limit of the amount of likes you want to get on something. Like, for me, I think it's 70 on Instagram. If I can get, like, 70 likes, then, you know, I'll keep the photo unless the photo is really specifically you know, important to me, but it's just odd. And I think that social media promotes sort of a diversity, but it also promotes a conformity. Because if you have your blog a certain way or your Twitter a certain way, people are supposed to like it or enjoy it. And we, we all we all try to do that. When I was, um, I, I made a Tumblr a long time ago, and my idea of the Tumblr was I was going to make it as socially acceptable to the community of Tumblr as possible. So for a week, you know, I, I looked through it and I didn't create an account. I just downloaded the Tumblr app, followed a few blogs and saw how people reacted to different things and did, you know, um, how they, what they would reblog and what kind of blogs they enjoyed. And this really intrigued me because it was a completely different social aspect than what I've seen on other social media platforms like Instagram or Twitter. And so what I did was I wanted to do sort of a social experiment. And I found that if I did um, sort of a thing that was, you know, you reblog a lot, but you have some content and then you have a lot of personal interaction. Like you could talk to people and they could ask you questions and you're very open about that. And so I did that. And, you know, within a month, I, I gained a substantial amount of followers. And I, I did it partially for bragging rights, of course, because, you know, with social media we find validation and with those followers we find validation but i i don't know it was just really weird and that that began how i started doing different um social experiments over this form of media and once i got to the um i got to the twitter part and i, I started doing that i found my own twitter account i said okay i only have a few followers what am i what am i going to do and so i found this this thing called Tweepy, and that's, it's basically a small Twitter thing where you can just follow a bunch of people according to different areas where they live or who they follow and what they tend to enjoy, whether or not their accounts are active and stuff like that, and it's really brought down to a science. And it's funny to me how this, we, we now have data to record how people interact, 
and we have data to, you know, see what they do and what they like and what they dislike on these different platforms. And it wasn't like that before any of this. I mean, you, you couldn't just go around and write down how people react to different things and then, you know, form the community because there are so many different communities out there. And of course, there are different parts of the Tumblr community and different parts of the Twitter community that some people just aren't interacting with. And I, I chose the specific communities of, um, for Twitter, it was just people who generally followed uh, whoever followed them because they wanted that validation. So they would, you know, put this out, like, I'll follow you if you follow me. And that number would get higher for both of us. So I followed those sort of people. And again, it brought me up to a substantial amount. And then I, I kind of went to a little bit of an extreme. I created a fake band, which I've, I've told a lot of people about, and they're called the Border Ratchets. And it's not a plug at all because, you know, they're a fake band. And we've produced zero music and we've done zero things. And, you know, one time we tweeted like Pizza Hut and they replied or something, but we have absolutely no content. And I designed it to look like it was a real band. I did this with my friend Barry. He's a fantastic guy. And we co-founded the Border Ratchets and we made a little, you know, icon for the quote-unquote album. We made tour t-shirts for the tour that didn't exist. Um, you know, we made a, a header for the Twitter page and everything. We tweeted as if we were doing band practices, if we were, you know, going on tour and all this stuff. And it was just really weird to me because people reacted to it. You know, they would ask, some of them would ask where our music was and some of them would just kind of go along with it because I, I would post like pictures of Barry saying, you know, I'm ready to drop our new album next week and people would like it or message us about our band and stuff like that. You know, and we, we got a thousand followers on a fake band that had no content or anything just because, you know, we, we looked like we were legitimate, but people didn't have the well, when you're scrolling through Twitter and you go you go and you see a band, you don't I don't think that unless you would see something completely specifically, you know, wonderful or really something that pulls you in, you wouldn't really listen to their music. You would just, you know, follow them or whatever, look through the page really quick to see what they have on it. But I was betting on the fact that, you know, nobody would actually look at what we had in media. And, you know, that bet kind of turned out really well. Um, our, our Twitter page is still active and well, not really active. It's just on, you know, and now I put in the about that it is a fake band, but people are still following. And it's not that people, you know, talk to us all the time or whatever. They just kind of passively follow. And I was hoping that they would. Um, it's just really interesting to me that people would do stuff like that. And, uh, with my Tumblr account, when I went back and I created something that, you know, I thought would actually have some material to it or whatever, and I put some material to it. I called it Tom Hanks for the Memories, and I thought that was a fantastic URL. I thought it was a wonderful username. My other username for the one that actually got followers was 7H3D474, and nobody knew what it meant. People kept asking, but, you know, I never really gave an answer to many of my followers, but it was just sort of a nonsensical thing that people didn't really care that it stood for nothing. You know, I just revlog generalized stuff. And when I put out actual content, like my actual thoughts and my actual um, poems and beliefs and stuff like that on Tom Hanks for the memories, nobody followed. I have 
six followers on that account. And I think it's because that it wasn't specific to the social media that I was producing to. It, it's really weird like that, like Twitter with the band. Um, I went for the most generalized sort of band I could. We were the the Border Ratchets. We were like, you, you could kind of sense that we were indie or like general rock and roll, but we were just trying to be very Americanized, uh, very garage bandy. And it worked, and I, I was still astounded by that sort of thing. And Twitter, Twitter, and Facebook, and all this stuff is still growing. What astounds me about Facebook, though, is how like dead it's become to certain people, but to other people, it's all they post on. And I'll go on Facebook once in a while because I, honestly, I don't go on that much. I don't even have the app downloaded anymore. But I'll go on and I'll see like some of my friends have posted all this stuff, and they're, you know, they're talking about how they. I had this kid and the joke goes around that Facebook is only for adults but in reality a lot of people have posted a lot of things on Facebook that are in my age group and in like the high school age group because you know they got on it and they found that you know they had all their friends and they could just talk to them or whatever and put it on private so that whenever they had news in their lives they could just immediately have it in other people's faces and they could like it and comment it for that um validation and along with the follower idea i think that the friends on facebook is a really interesting concept because it's grown from sort of something that was just you know close acquaintances or people that you you know and have had a conversation with to people you've seen sometime um two years ago walking into a coffee shop and they kind of glanced at you and you don't really know who they are but they like your stuff anyway so you're kind of cool with it and as long as they're not creepy, you're fine. I, I just think that's just weird because it, it says friends and you can, you know, give them a category of acquaintances or whatever. But, you know, it actually says that they're your friend. You're not following them and they're not following you. It's both. It's mutual. And you agree upon that idea. It's just weird because, you know, that, that sort of thing is in Snapchat where the line between friends and followers is a little different for every account. For my account, it's a personal account, and so all the people that I'm friends with can see my story and my, the the data I put out there, but nobody who just randomly adds me can see that, and so that's where that's where the idea of like a friend on Snapchat is. But if you're, you know, following somebody on Snapchat, it's a little bit different. You know, you can see their stuff, but they might not be able to see yours. I think that line is really blurred, and friends versus followers. Is completely weird followers used to have a sort of a meaning of like you know I'm I'm following this person I'm going to try to be like they are I'm gonna to listen to what they say you know like followers of Christ or followers of the prophet and it's it's really been sort of I, I wouldn't say degraded I, I guess I would say the connotation of it has changed to um, I don't even know, other than the specific definition having to do with social media. I guess following now means, like, you know, I'll listen to what they say, but if I want to keep scrolling, I'll keep scrolling. It's it's just completely arbitrary to me, and I grew up in this, you know. I grew up in the 21st century with all of this um, social media and all this networking platforms, and I love computers and I love technology, and that's why I perform these social experiments on people online. But it's still completely 
you know, brings me out of my my body and I just go, whoa, all of this is happening and I'm, you know, tweeting one-liners or whatever and people are liking it. And honestly, sometimes I don't even care if you like the one-liners. I love them. I, yeah, they're pretty darn great. And I put them on my YouTube channel and they're tweets that nobody appreciates and nobody appreciates them, but that's okay. But don't, don't subscribe to my YouTube channel. Another thing, YouTube channels. YouTube channels are kind of weird because you have subscribers, not followers, not friends. You have subscribers. There are all these different categories of, you know, things you can interact with people with. And that's sort of a status between you and that account and you and that person. Because I think subscribers is kind of closer to followers in that, like followers in like uh, Twitter or in Tumblr. Because in Tumblr, you don't really have to know a person. In Twitter, if it's sort of a personal account, you kind of have to know a person. But in YouTube, you don't at all have to know who they are or what they're talking about. Sometimes they don't even have who they're following up. So you have no idea who is subscribed to you. I think that idea is crazy too because, you know, you're posting content of your face and you're talking. And random people are listening and you have these amounts of views, which I guess are kind of equated to likes. Although likes are more solid because you have to actually you know do another act you have to view it and then you have to like it so i you know that's another mechanic of the youtube video experience but likes are a lot less you know prominent in that area and so uh, when we consider all these different things isn't it kind of mind-boggling that people constantly are putting out different streams of media like like this podcast right now that maybe you're listening to or maybe it's in the back of your brain and you're not even saying anything and if it's if it's in the back of whatever i'd like to say hello please continue listening that'd be fantastic and also you know follow my follow my account that'd be fantastic and spotify not spotify i guess spotify yeah spotify is a lot different because you can follow different users but it's not for any sort of validation it's just okay, well, they follow my music, they like my music, that's cool, but it's more of a personal thing. So I think if we if we look at all the different mediums of not even just social media, just like platforms of communication, we have, you know, Skype, you, you're friends on Skype because you want to talk to that person directly. And of course, there's a little mechanic where you can post your status or whatever, but that's not, that's not what it's mainly used for. It's mainly to talk to other people. I think that there's so many different categories of social media that sometimes we get confused. Like with Instagram, people post content like memes. And, um, you know, I think that's, that's sort of for like Twitter or Facebook. And I don't know, it's arbitrary to me that I even think that certain things belong on certain websites. Because if you're following one person on one account and it has that certain type of media, you want to follow their other account as well. And then you find out that that doesn't have the sort of thing you were looking for. That's kind of weird because, you know, they, they post this stuff over here and they want these certain people to see that in that context of this website, but they post over there and they want people to see that in that context of that website. Isn't that, that's sort of odd. I mean, don't you think, honestly, because, you know, we, we used to write books and we used to communicate directly to people. And we, we used to write letters. I love writing letters. Can I just talk about that for a second? There's something about writing letters that is fantastic. You know, putting a pen 
or a pencil to a piece of paper and knowing that they're going to, you know, have it in their hands. And I keep all the letters I get um, because I, I just love it because it's been there. It's more than just a message. It's a souvenir that you can keep and you can read again. And I, I think that computers can replace a lot of things, but they can't replace letters because you can send an email to a business associate and they can send it back and that's fine because it's a very impersonal thing. And you can keep emails from an old friend that you sent to a long time ago and they send some back and you can look at those records and that's really cool. But you can never hold that physical thing in your hand and carry it with you. You always have to log on to something and then, you know, look for it and then scroll through and click on this and search for that. You can never, you know, touch the paper that that person touched or, you know, put your fingers over their letters. There's something about writing that's, it, when it's really deep and personal, it has to be on paper. I, I think that's kind of a lost art. There, you know, there are a lot of books that are published through text, and that's really that's really cool too, but it's a lot less personal. And if it is a lot less personal, I think we can make it personal. Because, you know, I'll get a book from, like, you know, I, I got Harry Potter the first time, and I still have the books there because they mean so much to me. And, you know, I, I was growing up in elementary school and I never really had any friends. I was bullied. And, you know, bullied is such an arbitrary... I was... People were mean to me, I guess. And, you know, Harry Potter was my best friend and it was awesome and I loved Harry Potter. So those sort of books to me are now my own personal artifact. And now I can look through those pages and see, you know, what I really was. Because if I didn't have that artifact, I wouldn't exactly know how to how should I deal with this or how can I be reminded of this. Honestly, I haven't reread the Harry Potter series since I first read it. And I, I don't think it's because I didn't like it, because it's definitely my favorite book series. I mean, my favorite book is The Alchemist, but that's just because it's a lone book and it's very spiritual and it's fantastic. But I, I think that I don't read the Harry Potter series again because it's too emotional for me. Because, you know, you have this guy who's a loner. And I was I was a loner when I was growing up in elementary school. And he's finally whisked off to this magical world that I always wished that I went to. And I, I really found myself in the book. And that's what I do with a lot of books. I remember one time I was reading um, some some book about a girl who was very upset in the scene that I was reading. My mother asked me about pasta, something about pasta. I don't even remember what, and I just snapped at her. I have no idea why, but immediately after that, I had to fix it because I realized that I was putting myself in the place of the characters when I was reading the books. Sometimes to a certain extent, you know, that's healthy and that's awesome. But I think there there's kind of a border to that where, you know, it can go overboard and you can watch a movie and get really emotional. But if you find yourself you know, if you find that you're tricking yourself, and by you I mean me, if I find that I'm tricking myself into the idea that I'm experiencing these things or being this character, it's just really peculiar. Like, it, it messes with me. Because, you know, I was reading Percy Jackson. I read all the stereotypical books when I was growing up, and I read Percy Jackson, and I started to be sort of suspicious of the, not really, you know, gods that were you know, controlling the wind and whatever, but sort of spirits and sort of things like that. And I don't mean, you know, scary spirits or whatever, but 
it was very spiritual and it it changed how i thought of the world for a small amount of time and i think that's part of what books are meant to do but i think that for me it was just very unhealthy at a certain point and you know uh back to books being your own uh, the thing that's really cool about books is if if you take a book and um I, even if you hate reading even if you hate it and there might be one book you love and all other books you hate or just you hate all books you can really adapt this to anything but if you take a book and you, you've read it so much that you know it's it's heard around the corners and everything it you know my this friend said it to me the best when she lent me a book for a long time and then i kind of messed it up a little she said you know i don't mind when my books are loved and that's really really cool because you know you could play an instrument you could play the acoustic guitar and get a scratch on it from some night you were playing on stage and somebody dropped it but it was okay because you know you just got a little scratch but you'll remember that I, and maybe you you know you like computers and you drop your laptop and it has a big old scratch on it like mine does and that big old scratch will remind you of high school in a few years or something maybe you have um honestly i can't think of anything else but my rubik's cube that's really messed up because i used it so much in fifth grade because again i had no friends but really you can adapt this to anything you really love and i think it's weird because we as humans are perfectionists well for the most part i think and we you know we want things to be done right we want things to be done in a specific very correct fashion that can't be translated to anything else because if it if it were incorrect that that'd be really messy and who wants messy you know so i i think that that human imperfection is kind of planted in us somehow by what whatever you believe in if you believe in there is no god or there is a god or you're a deist and you just believe in the universe in general i think that no matter what you believe you can appreciate the beauty of human imperfection and a lot of us you know we hate imperfections and i do sometimes too i hate um you know i can't stand incorrect grammar especially by myself when i say something incorrect grammatically you know i i wince a little and i get really upset because you know i i didn't mean to do that why did i do that it's really a problem with me but if i find that the corners of my book are messed up at first when I was really young, I used to hate it because it was messed up. But after um, a friend of mine said that to me, I said, well, I, I guess that is really the beauty of that imperfection. And I don't mean this to be sort of like, um, you know, whoa, everything's awesome. Everything's not awesome. I'll admit that. But there are some things that get messy and it's really cool when they get messy. Like, um, you know, there, there are certain paintings, and one of my favorite paintings is uh, the the Impressionist Edgar Degas did, did these amazing paintings, thousands of paintings of these uh, ballerinas, and one of my favorites by him is Dancers in Blue. I, I find this, it's really, really arbitrary that I think it's wonderful because it's Impressionism, and at, at that time, Impressionism was not... Sh not so much showing things very specifically but you you had very distorted colors and 
you know, you, you really brought out sort of what the viewer wanted to see in the painting. And so I, I would go around and I would ask people, I go, okay, what do you see when you see this painting? And some people would say the wall or the um, dancers in the background. But what I saw was the first dancer. And it was really weird to me because I saw the main focal point. But there, what's really interesting is there isn't a specific focal point. I should say it's a focal area because when when Edgar Degas painted that sort of thing, he really didn't leave much contrast to specify that those two dancers were the, uh, the object or their nose wasn't the object or their small features of their face was. But in general, that area of the object is what my eyes were directed to because you know, you could sort of pick and choose depending on who you are. And I honestly, I have no idea what that reflects on who you are or what you want to do with your life or, you know, who you want to be. But, you know, if you look at this, um, you think this way. But I really wonder about the psychological underlyings of those things. Because if you look at a person and the first thing you notice is their nose, maybe you're self-conscious about your nose or maybe you just love noses and you think yours is perfect and if you're with anybody that doesn't have a perfect nose that'd be ridiculous i mean who wants a perfect nose and a regular nose just hanging out but i don't think there's much that i can specifically derive from that or that maybe maybe there is somebody that can derive from that that'd be super crazy and i would love to have that superpower that'd be fantastic to know you know everything why everybody does everything but, you know, that, that plays into a study of mannerisms, which I also think is pretty cool. It's sort of Sherlocky, but when somebody um, does a certain thing or, you know, they shake their leg every time they have to speak in front of class, you can kind of tell they have anxiety, but it'll go to sort of a different extent. Like if somebody flinches every time you say the word um, flabbergasting, maybe somebody punched them in the face while yelling, you're flabbergasting. I, I honestly, it could be anything, and that that really intrigues me about that. That's the most intriguing part of the study of psychology that I think is understanding how people or why people do certain things and why people act a certain way in specific situations. Because you know, if we could know all that, then I guess we could really predict outcomes. And I, I'm not saying I want to play God and predict outcomes of people. I'm just saying, like, what if we did all these social experiments? like the the one I did with Tumblr and the one I did with Twitter and we got you know what well, well we got what we hypothesized would happen but in real time i like you say something to someone and you know how they're going to react and what they're going to say that would absolutely blow my mind and i don't think i would ever like to do that because i would probably you know go crazy because it i would just compute all of the different possibilities and then choose the correct one but i i don't think anybody will get to that sort of um very specific the, the very specific and very correct hypothesis hypothesis yeah the hypothesis that somebody will react a very certain way because you know if that sort of thing happened there would be no randomness there would be no human imperfection that is you know, so cool with, with books and scratches on guitars and I, there wouldn't be no, um, 
there'd be no difference between people if there weren't any imperfections and that that's really weird because we i i hate being imperfect sometimes i absolutely despise it but i think to a certain extent it's necessary to be wrong it's necessary to be different in this certain way or that certain way depending on what your definition of imperfect is but those human imperfections are kind of what makes us perfect and i don't mean to say that to be you know a complete jerk but i do sound like a complete jerk saying that so yeah anyway thank you for listening to i think half yeah half an hour Thank you for listening to half an hour of me just talking. I hope you enjoy it. I hope you can add me on SoundCloud, no matter how um, ridiculous numbers are of followers. But please do follow me on SoundCloud and spread the word about my podcast. That'd be fantastic. So thank you and have a fantastic day.